Welcome to Continuum, the International Business Council podcast, where each episode we sit down with an incredible member of the IBC community, dive in, and learn from their journey. This is John Fitzgerald, and welcome to another episode of Continuum, the podcast of the IBC, the International Business Council. Our guest today is Katie Kirby. Katie is employed with the University of Notre Dame. Katie, welcome. Thanks for being with us. Yeah, thanks for having me, John. I'm, lo- I'm looking forward to this, and I think our listeners are going to love this, um, talking about, as you talk about you and your background. So to start, you know, where did you grow up, and, and more so, you had a very interesting high school background, and I want to get into that, but but where did you grow up, and then if you could start to talk a little bit about high school, and I'm probably going to interrupt and ask you a bunch of questions. Yeah, for sure. So I was born in the Chicago suburbs and spent um, the majority of my early childhood there. Um, when I was in middle school, my family moved to Kenya. Um, so a pretty big shift from suburbs of Chicago to rural East Africa. Um, when we first moved there, we were living with another Kenyan family, um, like in a mud hut. So no electricity, no running water. I was in eighth grade at the time. Um, I was homeschooled that year. And then after being in Kenya a year, I went to an international boarding school. Um, and that's where I did my high school education. Um, so yeah, grew up both in Chicago and then spent uh, five years in Kenya. My family ended up staying there in 10 years. So they were there throughout my entire time in college as well. So I, I want to get to college in a moment, but talk about your, how, how old is a person in eighth grade, 14 years old? Um, if you can remember, what was that transition like for you? I mean, you're, you're taken out of uh, a major, call it urban area, suburban area, and moved to this exotic country, um, leaving friends and everything behind. I mean, can you talk a little bit about the adjustment that you made that first year then when you were homeschooled and then going to the international school for high school? Yeah, for sure. So um, maybe just to frame a little bit of why my family moved. So my parents um, moved to do full-time service work um, at an orphanage. So they worked with an organization whose model is to, um, you know, kind of help be the liaison between a Kenyan community and, um, you know, American funding and help establish a center, which includes like an orphanage, a school, a clinic. And then once, you know, it's established, it kind of fully transitioned it over to Kenyan leadership. So it's more sustainable and then move on to the next project. So um, that's the type of work that my parents were doing. So moving, you know, as an eighth grader over to Kenya, everything was different (laughs) in my life. Um, We lived right next to this orphanage, which as a kid was super fun because I had, you know, hundreds of other kids to play with all the time. I think as a kid, you're just so resilient and whatever environment you're in, if you see other people living a certain way, it's easy to just jump right into that. And so I feel like my parents did a really good job of helping level set our expectations of like, you know, we don't have TVs anymore, but nobody around us has TVs and they're living just fine. So like, it's fine. Um, you know, we don't have a stove anymore. We're cooking over a gas fire pit, but that's what everyone else is doing. And they're also surviving. And so my parents did, did a really good job of helping us like level set our expectations and just talking about the transition 
all the time. Um, they were very open with us about, you know, why we were doing what we were doing and letting us push back if we were ever upset or angry. But I just remember it feeling, I think at the time I thought it would be more temporary than five years. We initially had only intended to stay in Kenya for two years. And I remember wanting to um, take advantage of those two years as like a fun adventure and experience and a chance to um, really dive into where I was instead of just focusing all my time on missing home. And then after two years, when we decided as a family to stay longer, at that point, I had established relationships and was excited about doing so. In, so you went to international school, which I think was in Kenya. Is that correct? It was. Yep. And was it a boarding school? It was a boarding school. So I boarded for my freshman year of high school. And then my sophomore year, my family had moved to live right next to the school. So my siblings, I am the oldest of four. Um, my three younger siblings could also attend the school and then we could all live at home, which was really, which was really good and healthy. Um, I love going to an international boarding school because everyone in everyone that I knew there, you know, they're from some original country had moved to some other country in Africa and then went to school in Kenya. So most people had deep experience in, you know, three different countries, if not more. And so it brought a diversity of perspective and experience to the classroom and just the everyday life that um, I don't think I would have gotten if I had stayed in the suburbs of Chicago. So um, the good part of that is that it was a very enriching, you know, academic environment. The sad part about it is that everyone's now spread around the world. So I don't get to see them on school breaks and, and all of that. It's more difficult to stay in touch. So when you were in Kenya, Katie, what, what was the most interesting thing that, that you saw? Oh, that's a great question. I mean, some funny things come to mind. Like there was one day um, where we had baboons that came into our house and were stealing food. That was actually very scary. Um, so there's like all the classic stuff that you think of with like wild animals and I don't know, just being in such a different environment. And we were living with the Maasai tribe, which is one of the more traditional tribes in Kenya. And so there's a lot of like ceremonies and rituals around that. But I would say like one of the most interesting things is the focus across the board on relationships. Like in America, we have a culture of like consumerism and productivity and like profit. And in Kenya, everything instead is built around like a more relational way of living um, where if somebody's in need, of course you would give everything that you have to that other person. Or if you're in a conversation, you would never end that early in order to get to the next thing that you have on time. And so I think that that whole, it's just like a flipped around way of viewing things as I can sometimes perceive happening in America where everything is very relational. You're in your boarding school and be it your junior year, senior year, you start thinking about college what you want to do. And can you talk a, a little bit about that, if you want to call it discernment process of what schools you looked at, where, and how you centered in because you went to Notre Dame, how you centered in and, and chose Notre Dame? Yeah, Notre Dame was not at all on my radar. So I only had applied to or ever considered going to like relatively small like Christian schools um, one summer, my family was visiting the United States from Kenya. This was in between my sophomore and junior year of high school. And we were driving through South Bend and so decided, you know, let's stop at Notre Dame and go on a tour. It's such a, a beautiful campus. And, you know, we'd seen Rudy. Um, so during that tour, I 
fell in love with Notre Dame. And I like, you know, knew I wanted to come here. And I remember um, telling my parents, like, I want to apply. And they're like, oh, I don't know if you'll get in. And I'm like, okay, watch me. So, you know, I kind of apply a little bit out of spite and just wanting to prove to myself that I could get in. Um, I ended up getting waitlisted and then getting in. And honestly, John, at that moment, I didn't think there was a world where I would actually attend Notre Dame. It was kind of more to just prove it to myself and to my family. I um, was, you know, part of the sacrifice that my parents made in order to move to Kenya was giving up a lot of their financial security. You know, they were fundraising for their own support to be in Kenya. And so I knew when thinking about where I was going to go to school, I was going to have to choose the option that was the most affordable. And if you just look at the sticker price of Notre Dame, it doesn't seem very affordable. So I kind of just like, was like, yeah, I got in. Yay. And so didn't think very strongly about coming. A couple of weeks later, I remember coming home from basketball practice and my dad you know, kind of had tears in his eyes and was reading something in our kitchen. And I was like, dad, what are you looking at? And he was like, Katie, we just got your financial aid award from Notre Dame. Like, this is going to be the most affordable school for you to go to. And so I was like, you know, chills on my arms, like, wow, I actually could attend Notre Dame. So that kind of drove, honestly, a lot of my decision to come here. I didn't know anyone else who came here. And um, nobody in my family was like, Catholic. And so we had no strong connections to the university, but because it was affordable and because I loved it on the tour, I decided to come. So talk a little bit about Katie, those, those four years. And, and you just said you weren't Catholic. So now you're going to uh, certainly a very established Catholic university. And was it a challenge? And, and more so, you just spent five years outside the U.S. and now you're kind of, I'm going to say migrating back into the U.S. How was that transition for you? Yeah, um, the transition in the beginning was rough. And I think it would have been no matter where I went, just because of the like reverse culture shock coming back into the United States. And it was small things like going to the dining hall and feeling so overwhelmed by the number of food options that I had. Or I remember I had to go get toothpaste at um, like a local grocery store at one point in time and just feeling like there's so many options and like, I don't know, just stores are so big and it just was overwhelming. So some of those small moments would happen. Um, but mostly my experience at Notre Dame um, was incredibly positive. I, you know, my faith has always been really important to me, even though I didn't grow up in like a Catholic home. And so coming to Notre Dame and learning more about the Catholic faith and how it's expressed not only on campus, but in the world is so inspiring to me. And it expanded my view of faith and um pushed me to ask questions that I never otherwise would have asked. And so I'm so grateful to have gone to a Catholic institution because it definitely removed some of the barriers that I initially had around faith in my mind and helped me have a more expansive worldview. And that even extends outside of Catholicism. When I um, went to school or when I was at Notre Dame, I studied abroad in um, Israel, Palestine. And that was another very you know formative time in my faith and in my life to learn more about um you know, Islam and Judaism and to meet people who are like so faithful in both of, you know, those religions. And so I feel like from a faith perspective, being at Notre Dame was the best thing that ever could have happened to me. Um, but I also just formed, I'm sure people say this all the time, but I formed some of the deepest friendships that I will ever have in my life. 
Um, Notre Dame just attracts like a, such a diverse array of people and perspectives and then creates a healthy environment for us to all interact and have fun together, but also learn and grow together um, emotionally and spiritually. And so I'm really grateful for the people that I met here at Notre Dame too. Um, the classes were very challenging, but I like loved them. I still um, like reference what I learned in school all the time in my job now even. Um, so overall, very healthy experience at Notre Dame. But I certainly appreciate your candidness and enthusiasm. So when you were at Notre Dame, you double majored in peace studies and marketing. And could you talk a little bit about how you got to the point of one, a double major, and then those two majors, from my viewpoint, maybe a little not really complementing each other so much, but... For you, I think they've worked out really well when it, you know, now that we've listened and heard about your background, but just from your perspective, how those co- how those work together. Yeah, I chose two very opposite majors on purpose. So marketing, um, I knew I wanted to do something in the business you know, realm and marketing just attracted me right off the bat. I'm one of the rare students who picked a major coming in to school and never changed it. Um, I knew like learning about business strategy and I don't know, like all that goes with marketing was going to be something that I was excited about and interested in. Um, And then peace studies was something I picked up um, probably at the end of my freshman year, maybe beginning of my sophomore year. I took an intro class and absolutely loved it. And what I loved about my peace studies classes were almost all of them had a service learning component in the South Bank community. So we're paired with a local organization for a semester to do either a project with them or serve with them and then you know pull insights from that and tie it back to our readings and our class material. And so where all of my business classes were focused on like, you know, growth and success and like even the students that you meet in Mendoza, they're all thinking five steps ahead about internships and jobs. And it can be very competitive. And like there is a part of me that loves that. On the peace study side, it was like a slower pace, more um, like reflective. Um, We talked just about like deeper things that are happening in the world, a little bit like less practical in the day to day. But I loved, you know, the type of student that kind of ended up in that peace studies major too. Did the the strategic element of marketing lend itself to the peace studies at all? And did they complement each other as opposed to being completely separate? It did. i I would think in my, at least I would like to think in my peace studies classes, I sometimes would bring a perspective that was a little bit more like realistic or, um, yeah, like focusing on what, you know, a company or an organization might actually realistically be able to do to influence a situation or how maybe like a business leader would think about somebody. So I think in the peace studies world, a lot of times we're talking about such idealized situations that it's difficult to actually like put concrete action plans together. And so I felt like, you know, my business um, education complemented it in that way. And then kind of on the flip side, you know, Mendoza, we're always saying growing the good in business. Um, And that is like a thread throughout Mendoza is that we want to like use our business education to do good in the world. And I felt like I walked away from my peace studies classes and major with maybe some more tangible ways to do that. Um, So I think they complemented each other well. When you graduated from Notre Dame, you then went to work for Notre Dame. Mm-hmm. And and could you talk a little bit about like what you started doing at Notre Dame? And, and since then, you've certainly transitioned into some different things. We want to talk about that. 
But just from your perspective, again, like now you're in a different role at Notre Dame. You're not a student anymore. That so now you've got to be a grown up, so to speak. Yeah. Um, but but just talk about that and and just share with us like what you're doing now, what you did, and what you're doing now, and how that um, how it led to it. So I started um, my first stint with the development office was actually when I was still a student. I ended up doing a summer internship with the office um, right after my sophomore year. John, I had no idea what development was. I had no idea that universities raise money. I don't know if I just thought that everything came from tuition or if I just didn't think about it at all. Um, But during the summer when I interned with development, my eyes were completely opened to how much goes on just to make sure that the university can function and especially that students who need financial aid like myself could have it. So for me, it was a very um, humbling summer, just realizing the manpower behind the development team, realizing um, how much people who work here care about, you know, current students. Um, So it was very humbling. It was also like a very full circle moment to feel like I was in a small way contributing to, you know, students like myself and their ability to afford Notre Dame. So when I was graduating, I knew I wanted to do, I was kind of split between, do I want to go, you know, climb the corporate ladder like a lot of my friends in Mendoza are doing and like get a big job and do that whole thing? Or do I want to like go volunteer full time and do like a year of service or, you know, like make no money, but do something that I like really care about. And um, working with development was a really beautiful hybrid between both of them where I got to you know, use my business degree and deploy like marketing strategies. And, you know, I was doing not like direct marketing work, but a lot of the same like principles and practices applied. Um, But then doing it for a mission that I believe in that's bigger than myself, that working with coworkers who also believe in it. Um, So development has been a really good hybrid of, you know, kind of the two things that I wanted to do with my life. Um, So I started off in development overseeing a lot of our student focused initiatives, which coming right out of college was really fun for me because in some ways I felt like I didn't fully leave. Um, I also resonated really deeply with the students that I worked with right after I graduated. uh, My first like full year working was also um, the COVID pandemic. And so that was a very interesting shift. I was leading one of our, um, I was leading our student engagement centers. We have a hundred students that work every night of the week and call Notre Dame alumni um, and friends to thank them for gifts. A lot of universities have a phone center for the purpose of like raising money, but ours is all like stewardship and engagement. So I was overseeing that team and, you know, had to move them fully remote and help find those students jobs over the summer. So um, that was like a really fun first job out of college. It also um, was a way that I could practice like management and leadership in a very safe environment because I was working with students. But then again, there was a hundred of them. And so I think that that position um, set me up for success later on. So that's how I got in development and how I, you know, my first role here. And and today you're at, I know you're in the annual giving area, but could you talk a little bit about that and, and kind of what you do and how, you know, again, your education, how that's kind of helped support and guide you to the success you're having today? Yeah, so broadly, um, for those who may not know, the annual giving team is charged with raising unrestricted dollars for the university. So just basic terminology. terminology. If it's restricted, it means it has a very specific allocation it has to go to on campus. 
Um, if it's unrestricted, the university can use it for whatever the greatest need is at the moment. So our team just raises unrestricted dollars. Um, and we do that through, you know, various ways. We, some of that is like mass solicitations and campaigns. So like digital campaigns, like mail campaigns, text, social. Some of that is through like programs that we developed that people might want to join, um, whether that's like peer-to-peer outreach or student outreach. Um, we have like Notre Dame Giving Society. Some of our listeners might have heard of like the Soren Society, um, people that give annually at a certain level. So how do we steward and engage and grow those funds while also making sure our members have the best experience ever? Um, so that's kind of the world of annual giving. We, we do kind of joke that annual giving is a microcosm of the entire department because we do a little bit of everything. So sometimes it's messy to explain unless you're in the world and the annual giving. But um, I now oversee the annual giving team here. And I don't think that would have been possible without, I guess, a couple of things for my education. One is like a deep and genuine like care for the mission of Notre Dame. That's something that we look for and everyone that we hire because the work that we do is so much more enriching if you actually believe in it. And that's something that I would take with me to any like future organization I work with is it's really important to, to believe in what you're doing, even though there are still always going to be like small things that you wish were better or perspectives that you don't agree with and leaders like in general, if you can have 90% of it be something you can stand behind, I think you're doing pretty well. Um, I think another way that my you know education set me up for success was Notre Dame taught me to be open-minded and to always consider alternative perspectives and scenarios. And like, if I'm proven wrong, like that can be a really good thing because it means I'm getting closer to truth. And so I think I've incorporated that well into each of the positions that I've held here of just realizing that like, I need to be humble enough to know that somebody else in the department may be a better resource for me to learn from. Like I can take risks and I can fail, but I also like we'll never have all the answers and that's okay. So just to continue learning and growing in that way has been really important for me. Um, and then I was just say like the third thing is, and this is really beyond um, my time as a student at Notre Dame, but now going into my professional life is there are so many experts within our department that are here because they choose to be here. They could be making a lot of money somewhere else and they choose to be here because they care about Notre Dame. And so I have been blown away just by the breadth of knowledge and the willingness to invest in young people that I've seen um, within my department. And I've been a beneficiary of that. I can't tell you how many people have spent time either mentoring me or sitting down over coffee or lunch or whatever it is to just impart some of their wisdom upon me. So I think that's also, you know, just part of the Notre Dame spirit is investing in the people that are around you um, in a significant way. So I'm going to put you on the spot. Yeah. So in this, in these, you know, these great people that you work with, is there one or two key things that you've learned that you've been able to incorporate yourself on the professional side to help you? Yeah. So something that our vice president, Lou Nani, always says, and he's somebody I admire, um, is to say, stay hungry, humble, and hopeful. And so, you know, that hunger is like the drive to always be better. Um, the world of fundraising, especially at Notre Dame, is really interesting because we have these huge goals and they grow every fiscal year. So you can do everything in your power, be as creative as you want. And if you achieve your goal the next year, you know it's going to go up. So you're going to have to find a way to like 
be even more efficient and even more creative to hit your goal the next year. And so I think the way that our goals are set up, um, you know, drives us to always be hungry for the next thing. Um, humility, I kind of talked about that a little bit before, but you're not going to get very far if you don't have willingness, you know, to learn and to admit when you're wrong and um, to take ownership over the things that maybe could have been better. But then hopeful is just having an uh, approach and a posture of of positivity towards your work. Um, days can get really long. Like football season is so fun, but it's also so exhausting for our team. And there's other times of year like that as well. And so just to stay hopeful um, that there is enough and have like a mindset of, I guess, sufficiency to realize that we have all the resources and the donors and whatever else we need to be able to accomplish what we need to for Notre Dame. Katie, what motivates you? Like, what are you really passionate about that, that truly motivates you? Oh, good question. Um, I would say the first thing is people. Like, I came to Notre Dame because I love the mission. Why I stay in my job now is because I love my team. And I really mean that. Like, I would do any type of work with the team that I'm working with now. Um, I have fun with them. I feel like because they all work so hard, it motivates me to work hard. And so... I would say the people on my team, but even outside of work, like relationships are really core to who I am. So, um, you know, my family, my husband, like those types of relationships are what's most motivating to me. Um, and then I think the other biggest thing would, would be like a drive and a desire to be a part of something that is greater than myself. Um, and so I, I feel that in the mission of Notre Dame, like when we talk about, you know, Notre Dame's mission to be a force for good in the world, like until we see that in every aspect of society, like I don't believe that we've done enough. And so it feels like the mission of Notre Dame will never actually be accomplished um, because there's always going to be more ways that we can do good in the world, you know, more injustice that we have to fight, um, more poverty that we have to alleviate, um, more peace that we need to bring about in, you know, violent situations. And so I think Keeping that in the center of like, this mission will never be accomplished, but like, I will always want to be a part of, you know, help bringing it forward with, with other people that I, that I love. If you had the chance to talk to a younger Katie, the, the Katie that's, that's just embarking on college, what would you tell her knowing what you know now? I would tell her it's always okay to pivot in the future. I think as you know, college students, we put so much pressure on ourselves to have everything figured out, you know, years in advance. And it just creates a lot of stress that I think is unnecessary, especially while we're still in school. Like if you don't land your dream job right out of college, you can work towards it in the future. If you choose something that you think you're excited about and you hate it, you know, you can switch jobs in the future. Um, if you end up like working for a boss, that's really difficult. Like, you can pivot. So I think just that mentality of like nothing, no mistake is going to be fatal. Um, that's part of the privilege of getting, you know, a, it's part of a privilege of going to an institution like Notre Dame is that you're going to have the chance to like fail. And if you do, failure will not be fatal. And so I think I just put so much stress, stress and pressure on myself um, to kind of do things perfectly the first time and make sure I was keeping up with others. And then once I graduated, you know, realized like things will be okay. And if any decision that I made is detrimental, then I can, you know, kind of pivot in the future. Um, and I think another one is just to like stay centered in 
the values that you actually believe in. When you're in college, there are so many things pulling you in so many different directions. And a lot of that is good because you're, you know, 18 years old when you get there and you're figuring out like, who do you want to be in the world and how do you actually want to show up in the world? Um, But I think it's important to like be reflective on like, how do I actually want to show up each day um, in the workplace or with my family? And how can I align the kind of work that I'm doing with those values in the most genuine way possible. So like, for example, for me, it's really important to be authentic. Um, It's really important to be other centered. Um, It's really important to be um, like honest. And so like, how can I align the ways that I'm showing up at work with, you know, those values? I think in college, I just was so swayed by other people's opinions and not only of my, um, not only for my like, career, but of who I was as a person. And I wish I hadn't spent so much time caught up in that. I want to talk a little bit about leadership. And it, it, as you said, your first like, professional career job, you have 100 students that you're now responsible for, that you're providing guidance and leadership for. Are there any principles that you picked up from that and kind of moving to today that, that you carry, that, that you have kind of embraced, embodied, Um, and become part of you? Yeah, hungry, humble, and hopeful is one big one for me. Another big one is realizing that every relationship that you have with somebody, and especially so when you're, you are managing them, is going to be different. And so what people need um, will change. How invested people want you to be will change. How invested you need to be will change. And so, um, you know, working with you know, right off the bat, 100 students. Um, now I lead a team of 31. I have five direct reports. Um, and each of them like want me to be involved and I need to be involved to such a different level that I think the biggest thing that I you know think about when I'm thinking about leadership is like, how can you use emotional intelligence and personability and accountability and like me- meet somebody where they really are? Um, And that changes over time, too, because you can start off a relationship with someone and they might really need something from you. And then three years down the line, say that, you know, they are much more established in their position and in their career and they might need you to, like, kind of shift that a little bit more. So it's kind of hard to describe in words, like, as I'm talking about it right now, because the leader member exchange is, like, so different at any point in time. But I think just being sensitive that everyone's different and might need something different from you. Um, Feedback is a really big one. I often think like if I haven't given somebody a piece of feedback that comes to my mind within 48 hours, I've missed out, you know, on the best chance to do it. That doesn't mean I can't bring it up later. But um, I think too many leaders wait and put so much like emphasis on these huge moments of like constructive feedback and wait for a performance review or a one on one. But for me, for both positive and negative things, I just always be honest with my team with where I'm at. Um, I think another thing that surprised me when I first started leading a team was how much time I spent managing up and realizing that it felt like at the time initially, you know, more than 50% of my job was just making sure the perception of our team was good. And so um, through that, I learned to be a a good storyteller, um, how to pull the right numbers that my boss wanted to see. Um, So I think that's another big piece of leadership that maybe isn't talked about as much. What do you do today to continue to grow and learn? I mean, how do you challenge yourself to, to learn more? Yeah, um, three biggest ways. One, I like to read. Um, 
Two, this is probably the most helpful to me in my day-to-day is um, having intentional conversations with people that I want to learn from. So I typically try to schedule two meetings a month with somebody in our department who I know I can learn something from just to get to know them better. Um, And then I recently started pursuing a master's in organizational psychology. And so that's been another great source of um, learning for me recently. So I'm only in my third class, but I have uh, loved it so far. Congratulations for doing that. That's wonderful. Thank you. That's wonderful. Thank you. Um, You know, you you mentioned something actually came up, I think, multiple times so far, the whole concept of giving back. And and I was just wondering if you could share with, with me and with us or listeners, you know, why that's important to you. And I'm sure a lot of it was instilled by your parents, but how you've, you've just continue that and bigger picture, how that influences others that you work with? Yeah. So the way that I view both generosity, but I think money more generally is uh, like where you decide to spend your money is kind of like a vote of confidence for what you believe in, in a way. And money is such like an intimate, sensitive topic for people. Um, and so it matters. So when somebody decides to give somewhere, like I know that they're saying like this, this thing is really important to me. I believe in this particular thing. And so um, like even when I think about my own personal giving, like part of the way that I can show what I believe in or the kind of person that I want to be or the things that I want to stand behind is by giving financially to something. Now, I know that's not always, you know, it doesn't always have to be done through like giving money. It can be done through giving time or giving talent or whatever else it is. Um, but I'm like more specifically talking about money right now. And so, um, for me, yes, like one of the things that I decide to support is Notre Dame. It's a very genuine, important part of my life as hopefully evidenced by this conversation, but there are other, you know, more local, um, things in our community or other missions outside of Notre Dame that are important to my husband and I, that we decide to give to, um, I think one of like the most, one of like the worst feelings is like saying that you're about something, but not actually being about it, if that makes sense. So, you know, saying that you care about a certain organization, but not ever volunteering and not ever giving, like that's just a a discomforting feeling. And so um, I think with, you know, with our team, there's no like pressure in any way to like give back to Notre Dame, but most people do just because you're going to spend so much of your time um, like talking about something and trying to convince somebody else to do it, that you want to do it of your own accord as well. And one of the things I love about annual giving in particular is we work with donors that give, you know, $5 to, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars. And a lot of our metrics are on the number of donors, not on the number of dollars. And so for, for our sake, you know, whether you give a little or you give a lot, like it all counts the same. And we want to steward you and make you feel like you're the most important person in the world. And so I love this team in particular, because it's not about how much you're giving, but about, you know, what you've chosen to say that you believe in and what you've chosen to sacrifice. Um, Did that answer your question? Yeah, that was great. I I want to switch it it kind of a continuation of that, but a, a little bit more central to why we're here for the IBC. The IBC is the Alumni Association of the SIBC Student International Business Council, which started back in 1989 at Notre Dame. Frank Potenziani worked with Father Hesburgh and and started what has now become the largest student organization at Notre Dame. And since then, two additional chapters have started, one at Benedictine College in Atchison, Kansas, and one at the University of San Diego. 
And you, know, you mentioned two different things in regard to Notre Dame. Um, be a force for the good in the world and then growing the good in business. And when we look at the IBC, me specifically, and, and our mission statement is to create a world where the business community acts as a principled force for the common good globally. I was just wondering, and it's very similar. Our mission statement is very, very similar to the SIBC mission statement. I was wondering if you could speak to what that means to you, and I'll repeat it for you. Create a world where the business community acts as a principled force for the common good globally. Hmm. I think it might look different for every individual person, um, you know, but I believe that wherever you are anchored in society, like there's something that you can do to make the world a better place around you, whether that's by, you know, influencing the people that you're close with at work or in your life, um, like positively influencing them, or it's choosing to give of, you know, the access money that you have um, to something that you care about, or, you know, choosing to give of your time or your talents. And so, um, yeah, it's a hard question to answer because I think it looks so different, but I also think that's so beautiful. Um, and it makes all of us a part of it too. Like it's a very inclusive mission knowing that wherever somebody is or wherever somebody comes from, um, you can live that out in one way, in one way or another. If you had a chance, Katie, to talk to a group of recent college graduates from any school, it doesn't have to be Notre Dame, but any school, and they have this this great belief and want to go change the world and have no idea where to start, what would you tell them? I would start by considering what the unique offering is you think that you can bring to the world and then looking at what is a need that exists in the world and figuring out where those two things overlap. You'll probably have multiple instances of where those overlap. So for me, for example, I know that I love marketing and storytelling and relationships and fundraising. And I also know that there's a need um, across the board for more financial aid for students who would not otherwise be able to attend university to come. Or even beyond that, there's a need once students come to Notre Dame to be able to have access to resources that they need in order to like actually go do good stuff in the world. And so for me, being able to align those two, you know, puts me in the position that I am today, even though I sometimes feel like I'm 20 steps away from the actual impact I hope to be having. You know, we're raising the initial dollars so that somebody can come to school and then in four years they might start a job and then they might actually make the impact. Like that's one way where I can find that overlapping for me. Um, but I even, even think about friends with, you know, much different talents and skills than I have. Um, that have aligned, you know, kind of what they're really good at with what the world needs. And I think that's a, a good way to start making a difference. What do you think it takes to have a great and meaningful life? Again, I think this might be different for everyone. For me, it's um, having strong relationships that I'm able to invest in, um, you know, being a part of something that I care about. Um, I think... Another part of meeting is like doing hard work and also then taking time to rest. Um, like when I'm at work, I want to be like busy and doing the most that I can do, like, you know, kind of grinding for the team and for Notre Dame. And then when I'm not at work, I feel really good about, you know, play and rest and being with my nephew and, you know, spending time with our new golden retriever puppy. And so I can't. I can't really talk genuinely about like work-life balance for me. It's more work-life integration and 
you know, give and take kind of in both spaces. Um, but I imagine that it's probably different for everybody. Faith is another thing that comes to mind for me. Um, I thankfully get to express my faith and, you know, talk about that part of my life at my work. I know that's not true for everybody, um, which is okay, but I also know friends who are, you know, in organizations where that's not something that they're like explicitly doing, but that's kind of what drives them too. So that's another big source of meeting for me. So in this, in this very storied life that you've had so far, what are you most proud of? I am most proud, and this is a hard question to answer, but I'm most proud of the fact that I found a way to be myself at work and in my life. Growing up, you know, in Kenya and seeing my parents do such life-changing work and then being at Notre Dame, you're just surrounded by people who are so brilliant and go on to do such amazing things that I think I grew up feeling, and even in college, like in such formative years, feeling like, man, will I ever do enough? Will I ever be enough? And, you know, reflecting now, I'm still early in my career, but I think I can say like, I found a way to really be myself and um, be confident in who I am as a leader and as a friend and um, as a spouse. And and I'm, I guess I'm proud that I've stayed true to who I am um, through all the ups and downs of, of different parts of life. You mentioned earlier that you enjoy reading and I realize you might not have a lot of time between work. You got a little, a little puppy, it sounds like. And then <laughs> yes. um, going back and getting your master's. But I like to ask if there's a book that you'd like to recommend to our listeners and whether it's something you've recently read or it's a classic that you've read, just something you'd like to share that a recommendation uh, for our listeners. Yeah, I recently read um, Letting My People Go Surfing by Yvonne Chouinard, who um, was the founder of Patagonia. Mm-hmm. I'm very inspired by Patagonia and their practices in sustainability and their family-oriented you know, work environment um, and their commitment to um, their values and you know doing things that are good for the planet and for people um, above profit. Um, from a fundraising perspective, I really like the book, The Soul of Money by Lynn Twist. Um, I think that offers a really healthy perspective, whether you're in the world of fundraising or not, for how we view how we view money. Um, I recently read the book. Um, it's a very quick read, so I'm going to throw it out there for any new managers called The One Minute Manager. Um, it probably takes an hour to read, um, but helpful. Uh, nuggets in there about giving feedback and setting goals. Perfect. Okay. My last question. When you were just starting high school, what did you think you wanted to do for your career? (laughs) So when I was a younger kid, I wanted to be an FBI agent, Um, but very quickly realized that probably wasn't going to be a part of my life. I always said international business. Um, I don't think I really knew what that meant, but I knew what I wanted to be in the business world, but interacting with people from different um, cultures and perspectives and um, yeah, just like different ways of living. My time in Kenya was very formative for me to realize that like, I didn't want to just be around people who were like me all the time. Um, And so I think I've gotten to live out a small part of that dream being at at Notre Dame. And um, we have a lot of diversity on our team. I hope that that increases, you know, in the coming years. Um, and get to work with a couple different, you know, student groups who are international groups. But maybe there's a, another way that that kind of dream will play out in the future. But for right now, I'm very happy where I am. 
Katie, thank you. I really, really appreciate your time. I wish you the greatest successes moving forward, both personally and professionally. And uh, good luck. Thanks, John. Thanks for listening to this episode of Continuum. Please leave us a five-star rating and share Continuum with your colleagues and friends. We need your help in gaining new listeners and growing our following. And for more information on the IBC, visit our website, ribc.com. That's just O-U-R-I-B-C dot com. Have a great day.